0: Bible prophesied of a unique time on earth. Israel would be returned to her land, the church would turn to false doctrines, technology would increase, and wickedness and immorality would run rampant. The time spoken of so long ago has come. Join Charlie Garrett as he breaks down these events for us as they unfold each week. Today is uh, 21 October, Sunday, time for the prophecy update of the week. And as uh, we just uh, said while we were streaming, before we got the Prophecy Update going, is our friend Sergio in Israel is having a birthday tomorrow. So if you do know Sergio and you watch his videos, type him a happy birthday on the post there uh, this evening for uh, wishing him a happy birthday while they're enjoying their time on vacation somewhere. And let's see here. Our first category, as always, is Israel and from the Times of Israel. This is something that I'm not sure if anybody's even going to talk about other than me, but it touches my heart, and I thought that I'd include it. A Palestinian baby gets a heart transplant from a Jewish child and a medical first. A desperately ill six-month-old Palestinian baby is bravely fighting for his life this week after receiving a heart transplant from a Jewish child. Now, if it was the other way around, I doubt if they'd give the child a heart But that's why I included this, is to show that Israel's always reaching out. They're reaching out to people in need. They're reaching out to people that have had disasters. And they reach out even to people that don't like them and that want their destruction in this uh, wonderful way. It says, um, the surgical team at Israel's Sheba Hospital at Ramat Gan are waiting, hoping, and praying for a unique operation. The first time heart transplant surgery has been performed on such a young child at the hospital, and the first time a Palestinian baby has received a heart transplant from a Jewish child. And then I have not seen an update since Tuesday, but on Tuesday it said from the Times of Israel, Palestinian baby clings to life after heart transplant from Israeli child. So we'll see where that goes, and uh, if it, uh, I get an update for you next week, I will include that. From the Times of Israel... Once again, confirming uh, Jewish history in the land of Israel, Times of Israel, ancient beheading site found in Jerusalem, evidence of Holy King's bloody rule, evidence of a mass slaying, including cruel beheadings committed during the bloody reign of the Hasmonean king, Alexander Jannaeus, was recently uncovered in a courtyard next to the Jerusalem municipality during excavations of an ancient water cistern. We removed from the pit more than 20 neck vertebrae which were cut by a sword. We discovered in the pit bodies and parts of infants and adult individuals, women and men who were probably victims of a brutal slaughter. Embryonic bones discovered in the excavation indicate that among victims were even pregnant women. According to the commentary on the book of Nahum, discovered as part of the Dead Sea Scrolls at Qumran. After the war's end, Alexander Janaius punished some 800 of his political enemies, sentencing them to crucifixion. Others, such as those discovered in the courtyard next to the Jerusalem municipality, were beheaded and dismembered. During excavations, the archaeologists discovered broken human bones, which were randomly discarded together in a water cistern and covered in ash, rocks, and boulders. According to archaeologists, what they discovered aligns with accounts recorded in historical sources. So once again, we're confirming the history that Israel was in the land, that this is their history, and everything that people keep saying about Israel having no history in the land is completely false. It's a made-up narrative, and we just want to keep repeating these type of things every time they happen so that we can validate this. Um, From Behold Israel... IMF, Israel's economy grew to 3.6% in 2018. The IMF predicted Israel's economy will grow 3.6% by the end of 2018 and 3.5% in 2019. Israel's Central Bureau of Statistics released a report on Israel's all-time high in tourism in 2018. Over 3.1 million visitors visited Israel through January to September in 2018 a 17% increase from 2017. In August, S&P's upgraded Israel's score from an A-plus to an AA-minus. In its half-year report, the highest score Israel has received to date. Prior to the increased credit rating, both S&P and Moody's Investors' services raised their ratings for Israel's from stable to positive. Israel's strong economy and a trend of lower government debt led to the increases in scores and outlook. It cited reasons for the upgrade in a press release given Israel's prosperous and resilient economy, strong institutions, ongoing fiscal consolidation, and robust external performance. So good stuff there as far as Israel's concerned. And, uh, uh, you know, they beat anything that our previous president did in eight years. He never broke 3% in this economy. He was the first president in the history of our nation to not do so. And uh, Israel's just continuing to move up and up and up. From the Times of Israel, Pompeo, U.S.-Israel relations stronger than ever. Good news there. From The Guardian, moving Australia's embassy to Jerusalem, a fatal mistake. Middle Eastern envoy warns. They're talking about actually moving it. It may or it may not happen. There's been some setbacks this week. But if they were to ask me, I'd say go. Go. They said the exact same thing to us before we moved our embassy. We moved and everything died down. They just don't want people to make this move. But once it's done, it's done. So it's not a fatal mistake. And if uh, Australia wants to move their embassy, they should do it. And then finally from Zero Hedge, all out war coming. Record number of Israeli tanks amassed on Gaza border. They are getting ready to go into Gaza. This is what I said last week or the week before, is that we've got this problem between Fatah and Hamas, and Abbas is causing this trouble. He's uh, hindering the talks between the Egyptians and Hamas and Fatah. The Egyptians have been trying to get this settled out. And as I noted last week, or might have been the week before, the only people that are going to get blowback from that are Israel. And sure enough, that's what's been happening. They're massing on the Israeli border. They're causing all kinds of troubles. There's riots. Every bad thing that can possibly be thrown across the border at Israel has been thrown across, including kitchen sinks. And so... Israel is getting ready to respond. And if they go in with their tanks, they're going to go in full force. They're not going to lose people in the process if they can help it. So we'll see where that goes. A uh, few minutes ago, we got some red alert Israel notification saying that missiles had gone into Israel. They are not. That was a, a false alarm. So if uh, you're watching live and you heard that as well, it's a false alarm. They this Nothing has started at this point. So there you go from that. And from Christian News. Got a little trivia for you from the Superior Word. Last week, we had our five-year anniversary. But does anybody know what happened on 23 October of 2011, which is just two days from now, anniversary 2011, it's 2018, so that's seven years ago we did our Genesis 1-1 sermon. So seven years ago, and we're all the way up now, seven years later, to Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27 today. So we're really moving along. What's that? There were two books in there. There were a couple little books in there, that's true. We added in Jonah, we added in the book of Esther, and um, so we did do those, but those are just small little books, they didn't take a whole lot of time, and just as far as uh, this is concerned, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and now numbers have taken about seven years. So good stuff there, we're moving right along. And talking about sermons, today is the Priestly Blessing. You know, a lot of Prophecy Update people like to watch Prophecy Updates, and they don't get into sermons, but if you want to understand the priestly blessing in a unique way, we're going to present that today, and uh, I'll give you a little hint is that we'll be talking about the Trinity before we actually evaluate those four or five verses, okay? And there's a reason why, which is connected directly to the priestly blessing. So I hope that you'll uh, tune into that sermon. You'll learn quite a bit, and it'll be enjoyable for you. And let's see here. First article from Christian News is from RTE. Belfast Bakery wins UK Supreme Court appeal in gay cake case. This is something I didn't expect would happen, not over in the UK, but it did. But there were reasons why the the decision was legitimate and their reasoning was legitimate. It never should have been an issue in the first place, but because it was, at least it got overthrown. Here's what it says. The Christian owners of a bakery have won an appeal at UK's highest court over a finding that they discriminated against a customer by refusing to make a cake decorated with the words, support gay marriage. Now, this was a unanimous decision, by the way. This was something that they all agreed on. Announcing the court's decision, its president said, this conclusion is not in any way to diminish the need to protect gay people. It's never been an issue where they needed protection. They've always just done their thing. But And people who support gay marriage from discrimination. It is deeply humiliating and an affront to human dignity to deny someone a service because of a person's race, gender, disability, sexual orientation, religion, or belief. But that is not what happened in this case. As to Mr. Lee's claim, based on sexual discrimination, the bakers did not refuse to fulfill his order because of his sexual orientation. They didn't say, you're gay and so you can't have a cake. They would have made a cake for him. Right? Everybody understand the logic here? They would have refused to make a cake, such a cake for any customer, irrespective of their sexual orientation. It was a set-up job. We want something on a cake that contrasts their values And so they said, support gay marriage. They said, we're not going to do it. It's not because he's gay. It's because of what the cake says. So their logic is impeccable in this case. The bakers could not refuse to supply their goods to Mr. Lee because he was a gay man or supported gay marriage. But that is quite different from obliging them to supply a cake iced with a message, which they profoundly disagreed. Good job. From Christian Post, LGBT law regulating church hiring decisions reflects our values and culture Austin City Council says they are going to have this overturned. There's no doubt about it, but here we go. The city of Austin defended the lack of a religious exemption for churches in its new LGBT anti discrimination law in response to a lawsuit, arguing that the law reflects our values and culture. The U.S. Pastor Council, which has over 1,000 member churches across the nation, has filed a lawsuit on behalf of 25 member churches who say that a law prohibiting employment discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity restricts their freedom to hire. Any law that purports to regulate church hiring decisions inflicts injury, in fact, by restricting the church's autonomy. I'd agree with that completely. An injunction that blocks the enforcement of the city's anti-discrimination laws will redress the injury, caused by the city's failure to exempt churches from its anti-discrimination edicts. According to the lawsuit, the churches believe that the Bible is the word of God, Then they rely on the Bible rather than modern-day cultural fads for religious and moral guidance. Any church should be that way. As such, the churches will not hire practicing homosexuals or transgender people as clergy. Additionally, the member churches require that employees live according to the Bible's teaching on matters of sexuality and gender, something we could all agree on. Because of this, the lawsuit states these churches will not consider practicing homosexuals or transgendered people for any type of church employment. As the Austin Ordinance also bars discrimination on the basis of sex, The lawsuit also seeks protection of some member churches who feel the Bible doesn't allow women to serve in the role of senior pastor because of the words of 2 Timothy 2.12. That's uh, 2 Timothy 2.11 and 12 says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. That's not speaking about in government. That's not speaking about in anything except in spiritual matters within the church. That's what the Bible says. These churches hold to that as prescriptive, which it is. It's Paul's prescriptive writings. And they say, we must go by what the Bible says. Okay. Although the ordinance does provide some religious exemptions, none of those exemptions provide an accommodation to churches that oppose homosexuality, transgender behavior, or the ordination of women. So they say they have to do it. They're forcing churches to do things which are against their very establishment, which is the word of God, okay? So it says the ordination allows a Catholic church to require its priests to be Catholic. Well, that's noble, but it forbids the church to exclude Catholic women, Catholic homosexuals, or Catholic transgender people from the priesthood. Which, if, you know, if you were in another church, the Catholic church is debatable. But in another church, you say, there is no such thing as an LGBT superior word person. They're incompatible. So they couldn't be in the church anyway. So you'd get rid of that problem. But Austin City has got a giant problem that they are trying to force down the throats of these churches. And this pastor council is right in bringing them to suit. Just to this, be clear, they could be in the church. They could be in the, the church, yeah. They can't be... They can't participate in any leadership role at all in a church. That is the way it is. If a homosexual wants to come in and sit in the back of this church for the rest of his life, he is welcome to do so. But he cannot participate in the Lord's Supper. He cannot participate in any decision to be made or any job to be done in this church. That's just the way it is. Uh, the city has vowed to defend its ordinance in court and shows no sign of backing down to the pressure of litigation. So what they're going to do is they're going to waste a bunch of Austin City, Texas money arguing this, and they're going to lose. That's all that's going to happen. From CNS, a Democrat who said, "I stand for the flag. I kneel at the cross." Forced to resign as local party exec, it doesn't break my heart at all. If he wants to align himself with this party. Then he's going to get whatever comes at him. Mark Salvas has reportedly been forced to resign his position as a Democrat Party executive director in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, because of social media posts sympathetic to God, country, and an accused police officer. A former Marine and Gulf War veteran, Salvas was just hired in September as executive director of the county party. Long, long after he posted a picture of his wife and him on Facebook with the words, I stand for the flag, I kneel at the cross. But some on social media called that inappropriate for a Democrat Party leader. And it is. The Democrat Party is completely devoid of any morals at all. Mm-hmm. They have, you know, th- that this guy would even say he's a Democrat and a Christian. It's it hard to reconcile. They, do not, they do not go together in any they way, believe. shape, or form. They I'm straightened go- them out. What's yeah, they <laughs> straightened them <laughs> out. You can leave. And, you know, maybe he'll change his party. Maybe he won't. I don't know what he's going to do. But, you know, here we have the uh, 10 ways to pray for our persecuted, the abortion week that we're going through, our abortion month. And the Democrat Party, that's it. It's abortion on demand. And so if you're a part of the Democrat Party, and you're aligning with that. How can you say you're a Christian when you support the murder of the unborn? It doesn't make any sense. But there you go. He got what he deserved as far as I'm concerned. uh, From Islam today, Mail Online, Putin is taking over Libya by stealth. Now, I've said this over the past couple years. When Libya becomes a force, when Russia's aligned with Libya, and we've got that guy Khalifa Haftar, who I've brought up again and again, he is aligned with the uh, Russians. When It may not be him, but right now, he is the guy that will probably be in the position that is necessary to run Libya with Russia's backing. Like, say, it may be that he gets blown up and somebody will replace him, whatever. But right now, that's what I have been saying, is that this is a scenario that when we see this come to fruition, we are very, very close to Russia's ability to come against Israel in Gog Magog. Until Libya is a part of this alliance, it ain't going to happen. And now we see that Russia is working in Libya by stealth. Let me read you the article. So bloody and extensive is President Putin's record of aggression, not least in Syria and Ukraine, that an incursion into the empty deserts of North Africa might hardly seem worth noting. Yet, the discovery that Russia is moving troops and missiles into war-torn Libya has rightly caused alarms to sound throughout the capitals of Europe. It is a step of huge significance, and one with potentially disastrous results for Western nations. Libya has both oil and Mediterranean ports, and Russia is hungry for both. Cause enough for concern, perhaps? Yet, the real fear for European governments is this. Libya, with its porous southern borders, has become the main jumping-off point for hundreds of thousands of African migrants now seeking to cross the Mediterranean to the shores of the EU, and, in particular, Italy. Now, by establishing military bases in the port cities of Tobruk and Benghazi, Putin has raised the nightmare prospect that Moscow could soon take control of that migrant flow, turning it on and off like a tap. And that means threatening European governments who oppose him with outright political chaos in reply. The Russian presence in Libya has been building for months. In the port cities, it comes in the shape of private military companies such as the Wagner and RSB Groups. Tough guy contractors who, while not formally part of the Russian army, nonetheless work closely with Putin's paramilitary GRU. These contractors have also been seen in eastern Libya, near the border with Egypt, where they have been defending critical oil wells against Libya's many armed militias. They have also been training Libyan troops and providing intelligence for the Libyan army. We're getting close to where it is possible for the Bible to come true, until this is actually done, and until Russia has control, and they have somebody that will stand with them against Israel, it's not going to happen. Okay, we've got them, and we've got down uh, south of Egypt as well. That area, is Somalia, and uh, right down in uh, that general area, have to be aligned with them. As Put, uh, Put Kush, and the Nubians—all of the names are listed in uh, Ezekiel 38. Anyway, uh, that's where we need to have our eyes focused. But this is a giant, giant thing that is aligning the nations as the Bible says that they will be aligned in order for Gog Magog to happen. So we'll go on from there. From Sputnik. Secret Israeli paper details alleged plan to save Iran from Sanctions. Ahead of the new wave of anti-Iranian sanctions bound to come in force in November and impact the Islamic Republic's oil exports, the Israeli outlet Mako has reported about an alleged secret agreement between Moscow and Tehran. Russia is reportedly planning to aid Iran to prevent economic damage with tacit support from Europe. Now, if you look at what's going on, everything that we're talking about, the last article in Libya, this article with Russia and Iran— all of that was enabled by who? Our pre- yes, our previous president. He is the one enabled every single bit of this. And you, if you're talking about these Russian connections and all of the things that are being spoken about against our current president, all that is is projection. They knew very well what they were doing because they have been in a line with the Russians all along as the Democrat Party of the United States. He allowed this to happen in Iran. He allowed this to happen in Libya. And these things are because of the actions of our previous president. It says here, um, Russia, Iran, and Turkey struck an agreement which would minimize the impact of U.S.-Iranian punitive measures targeting Tehran's oil trade. To subvert the U.S. economic blockade, Iran is expected to transport its crude to Russia's refineries on the Caspian Sea, which would later sell it as Russian oil and reimburse Iran. The presidents of three countries are said to have secretly agreed on this, aimed to help the economy of the Islamic Republic. Additionally, the cited Israeli Ministry of Foreign Affairs document allegedly states that Washington's European allies would silently allow Iran to continue to sell its oil to Asian countries. Europe hopes to keep Tehran in the nuclear deal by making this concession. Last month, Iranian and European diplomats reportedly examined a scheme to barter Iranian oil for European goods through Russia in order to bypass U.S. restrictions, with some Asian importers doing the same. While several countries, including Japan and South Korea, have caved in to the U.S. pressure and are preparing to halt Iranian oil imports, others, including Iran and China, have defended their agreements with the Islamic Republic and sought ways to bypass the unilateral U.S. restrictions. So the EU, Russia, they're all working behind the scenes to continue to allow Iran to work (coughs) pumping out oil, making money, building bombs and cause trouble in this world. They are not supporting our president in the effort of getting this nation out of the terrorist industry. They're the ones that are going to suffer. They're all going to be going through the tribulation period, and they're all going to have all of these things, bombs flying at them as well. This is just what's coming. So, very sad stuff. From the Times of Israel, defying U.S., UN gives Fakestein extra rights so it can head a major block in 2019. Only three countries voted against it. The US was one of them. I think Australia was one and one other. I don't remember. It was in the article. But the UN is giving rights, specific rights, to a non state so that they can run a major block of the UN over the next few months. Very bad news. From Mongolia, from NK News, which is North Korea. Mongolian president invites Kim Jong-un to Ulaanbaatar. President Batulga has invited Kim Jong-un to follow in the footsteps of his grandfather and make an official visit to Mongolia. The message sent on the occasion of the 70th anniversary of relations between the two countries emphasized their long and friendly ties and ongoing expanding development in various sectors. President Batulga has visited Pyongyang at least three times in the past. He's not believed to have met Kim Jong-un during those visits. The two countries maintain ongoing economic ties. North Korea companies continue to reference Mongolia as trade partners, even holding company-level talks in May this year over exporting mining explosive technologies. Mongolia, however, continues to claim strict adherence with the United Nations Security Council sanctions against the North – saying in its latest implementation report from May that the agreement on the exchange of labor between the government of Mongolia and the government of the DPRK will expire on June 3rd. We'll see if that happens, but uh, supposed to be that case. and um, so they're kind of doing their dealing and he wants them to come over and we'll see. you know, North Korea is kind of it's up in the air right now. I mean, our president's working on, he's getting no credit for it at all. Pompeo just went again. The news is, of course, saying that everything that he's done is uh, without any basis at all. But they're working behind the scenes to get this, and it'll be a real achievement if, in fact, he does get it. From Daniel12Technology, from CNET, scientists connect three actual human brains, then try to make them play Tetris. They put these things, diodes on, and not, not, they're in the body, okay, they're in their bodies, they're not separate brains, like a movie, but they've actually connected three brains by wires, and now they can play Tetris together. This is pretty astonishing. Neuroscientists behind the project call it BrainNet, a multi-person, non-invasive, direct brain-to-brain interface for collaborative problem-solving. In layman's terms, researchers from the University of Washington and Carnegie Mellon University figured out a way to connect three brains and have the owners of said brains make collective choices together without speaking. It's just their brains communicating without any communication at all. And they tested it by playing Tetris. The team used, does everybody know what Tetris is? The little blocks, you turn them this way or that, and they fit down, and then another lot. Yeah, okay, that's Tetris. Um, And using EEGs to record electric Impulses from two human brains and transcranial magnetic stimulation to deliver information to a third brain. The end result, an interface that allowed three human subjects to collaborate and solve Tetris problems using brain-to-brain communication. In the test, two senders were connected to EEG sensors and communicated to the third person, the receiver, via a TMS helmet with the ability to send flashes directly to the brain, The two senders could see the game of Tetris being played, the receiver could not. The goal, sending a message telling the receiver to either rotate or not to rotate the Tetris piece, depending on how the game was going. In order to communicate, the senders had to stare at one of the two LED lights. The two lights were flashing at different frequencies, meaning that different signals were sent from the brain depending on which light was being stared at. If the receiver received a flash from the TMS helmet, he had to rotate the block. Incredibly, five groups of three subjects were able to successfully perform the task 81% of the time. So they tried down five separate groups. All the groups had an 81% rate. And this is the very beginning of this technology. Imagine what they'll be able to do in a few years when, you know, they'll be able to tap into somebody that's paralyzed or something. Who knows? I mean, we'll see where this goes, but that is... That is really interesting stuff. It's going to Big Brother. It is going to Big Brother, but what's scary is fifteen people actually said they'd do it. Well, that's right, but that's okay. You know, you gotta remember now, technology is neutral. It's what we do with technology that's bad or good. Okay. We can have any technology in the world that can have good purposes and it can have bad purposes. All right. Technology is neutral, so don't don't take that too far. I agree with you. It can be used for bad. But it can also be used for good. We could have people that have never spoken be able to convey their ideas or whatever. People that are, you know, uh, not in a vegetative state, but they can't move their arms, legs, etc. And they'll be able to communicate. That would be a good purpose. Uh, You could think of a lot of bad purposes very quickly for this as well. Okay, from Revelation Plagues Today, Zero Hedge. Scientists freak out over pandemic potential of genetically engineered smallpox. Following the release of a paper earlier this year which describes how researchers stitched together segments of DNA in order to revive horsepox, a previously eradicated virus, scientists have been flipping out over the possibility that bad actors may use the study as a blueprint to revive smallpox. The disease killed an estimated 300 million people before the World Health Organization deemed it eradicated following a long vaccination campaign. Thus, the publication of a method for reviving a closely related disease has understandably raised some red flags within the scientific community. Critics argue that the paper has not only demonstrated that you can synthesize a deadly pathogen for what science reported was about $100,000 in lab expenses. So anybody has got this information right online, it's published online, and if you have $100,000, you can do this. But it even provides a slightly too detailed for comfort overview of how to do it. Overall, everyone's pretty polite, but you can get the sense that the microbiologists are really, really worried about someone reviving smallpox. Kevin Esfeld, a biochemist at MIT, wrote that the threat is so significant that it may be wise to begin encouraging norms of caution among authors, peer reviewers, editors, and journalists. Despite entirely predictable advances in DNA assembly, every human with an internet connection can access the genetic blueprints of viruses that might kill millions. These and worse hazards are conveniently summarized by certain Wikipedia articles, which helpfully cite technical literature relevant to misuse. S. Velt blamed the media for amplifying the negative potential of smallpox synthesis as well. DNA synthesis is becoming accessible to a wide variety of people, and the instructions for doing nasty things are freely available online. The Canadian professors, meanwhile, shot back at their critics, arguing that the smallpox was bound to be synthesized at some point anyway. So, just go ahead and put it out there because somebody's going to figure it out anyway. Absolutely crazy people in this world. Realistically, all attempts to oppose technological advances have failed over centuries. We suggest that one should instead focus on regulating the products of these technologies while educating people of the need to plan mitigating strategies based upon a sound understanding of the risks that such work might impose. So they're just trying to brush it under the table and say, well, we'll just work on, you know, solving the problem after it gets out again or something. It's crazy. I I just don't understand how somebody could say this has killed 300 million people in the past and we're just going to let it out there and it's okay because they do it anyway. Morality today. From Mail Online, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan. Anybody know who said that or where that's recorded? To care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan. That was quoted by Abraham Lincoln. And it is the motto of the um, Department of Veterans Affairs. Mounting pressure on the Department of Veterans Affairs to change sexist Abraham Lincoln quote as its motto. (laughs) Veteran groups and Yale students are asking the VA to change its motto. Abraham Lincoln said the words during his second inaugural address. The quote has served the VA's motto for 59 years. The Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America asked Virginia Secretary David Shulkin back in November if he could change the motto because it doesn't mention women in battle. So what? It's just a motto. Anyway, it's sexist. From CR, Assisted Suicide Plans for Children unveiled at Toronto's Sick Kids Hospital. Now, they said this would never happen. Two years ago when they were talking about euthanasia, they said this will be very, very limited in scope. It will never be used, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And every single thing that The people predicted they would do has been coming about within just two years of it being implemented, and now they're offering this to children. But more perverse, listen to how they offer it to children. In a prestigious medical journal, doctors from Toronto's Hospital for Sick Children have laid out policies and procedures for administering medically-assisted death to children, including scenarios where the parents would not be informed until after the child dies. The Canadian Council of Academics is specifically looking at extending so-called assisted dying to patients under 18, psychiatric patients, and patients who have experienced a preference for euthanasia before they were rendered incapable by Alzheimer's or some other disease. So if you even said someday I might like to be euthanized and you get Alzheimer's, they're going to do it to you. And all of this, every one of these things that we just mentioned, all of them were said that will never happen. Yes. This is a very limited thing for people that are in their last stages of death and blah, blah, blah. Absolute lies. Absolute lies. It goes on. It says, um, in a flowchart that outlines how a medically induced death would occur at sick kids, authors do not mention conversation with family or parents about how the child dies until after the death occurs in the reflection period. Patient confidentiality governs the decision about whether or not to include patients in a decision about an assisted death. If capable minors under the age of 18 stipulate they don't want their parents involved, doctors and nurses must respect the patient's wishes. Usually, the family is intimately involved in this decision making process. If, however, a capable patient explicitly indicates they don't want their family members involved, although healthcare providers may encourage the patient to reconsider and involve their family, Ultimately, the wishes of capable patients with respect to confidentiality must be respected. The proposed policy for sick kids argues that there is no meaningful ethical distinction between a patient choosing to refuse burdensome treatment and accepting an inevitable death versus patients who choose to die by chemical injection before the disease brings on death. Legally, Ontario does not require parents to be involved in a capable minor's decision to refuse further treatment. Therefore, there's no reason legally to require a parent involvement in an assisted death. So they say, well, if the child doesn't want to have chemotherapy anymore because it's just making them so sick that it just doesn't want it anymore, they don't have to tell the parents about that. So they use the same logic and say if the kid wants to be executed today we don't have to tell the parents about that either that is absolutely horrifying if you ask me from faith wire biological male wins women's cycling world championship as a trans woman yes from the christian post gosnell movie depicting abortion clinic horror breaks top 10 at the box office has anybody seen the most recent article on it They are trying to stymie it. 200 of these uh, theaters have taken it out. Even though it's in the top rankings, they're making money off of it, they're deciding to take it out. There is pressure being put on these people. From Fox, massive lines outside Canada, marijuana shops after country legalizes weed, and here's the ironic part. Les sent this to me. In the city of St. John's, hundreds of customers were lined up around the block at a store on the main council, Drag. Yeah. The drag, okay, you got it Got a couple laughs there From our other category Weather From the Weather Channel or whatever, weather.com Over 17 inches of snow fell in North Dakota And it's only October So much for global warming <laughs> According to the USDA's crop progress for the week ending October 7th Only 8% of the state's corn and 34% of soybeans had been harvested This is just another whammy on top of everything else that we've been dealing with. We had such a great crop coming, too, Brad McKay, a farmer in Valley City, told KVRR.com. I really think out here, if we can get 50% of what we had, we will call it a win. Bad times for those guys. From the Washington Examiner, Trump's list. 289 accomplishments in just 20 months. Relentless promise Keeping. As Trump nears the two year mark of his historic election and conducts political rallies around the country, the admin has counted up 289 accomplishments in 18 categories, capped by the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. They include 173 major wins, such as adding more than 4 million jobs, and another 116 smaller victories, some with outsize importance such as the 83% one-year increase in arrests of MS-13 gang members, Trump's successes in reducing the cost of taxes and regulations, rebuilding our military, avoiding wars of choice, and changing the court's rival, those of all previous Republican presidents. Unlike the year one list, which included many proposals and orders still to be acted on, The new collection includes dozens of actions already in place, signed legislation, and enforced executive orders. For example, while the year one list bragged about the admin's efforts to rewrite the much maligned NAFTA trade deal with Canada and Mexico, the year two list said negotiated an historic US-Mexico-Canada trade agreement to replace NAFTA. And shockingly, the NAFTA achievement is presented as a sidebar to the larger achievement that reads, President Trump is negotiating and renegotiating better trade deals, achieving free, fair, and reciprocal trade for the United States. Under that umbrella are eight trade deals cut with Japan, South Korea, Europe, and China. President Trump is a truly unique leader in American history. He's a kid from Queens who became an international business leader and made billions by getting things when no one said he could. They told him he couldn't be president and beat the establishment, and he did. For two years, the establishment is telling him he can't do things in Washington, and he's succeeding in spite of them. He never retreats. He doesn't back up. He's relentless. He just wins. Good job, President Trump. From Zero Hedge, sales of the world's most popular handgun have collapsed under the Trump Presidency. Yeah, remember we had such crime a crummy president before, he's going to take away our gun rights, and so everybody was buying guns. I was one of them. I bought an arsenal, right? Before Donald Trump won the 2016 election, Obama was America's best gun salesman. <laughs> Americans were panic buying firearms as if the apocalypse was tomorrow, partly due to the fear of stricter federal gun regulations. AR-15 style rifles and Glock pistols were some of the most popular items Paranoid Americans had to have, and of course, ammunition, meal kits, water, and underground bunkers. Glock, the most popular handgun company in the world, experienced a rather sharp decline in sales during President Trump's first year in office. They sold 36. Fewer percent pistols in 2017, and revenue fell 35% to 464 million euros. Net income declined 58% to 67.9 million euros following massive profits in the Obama era. So that's a good thing. Our president is doing the right thing. He's protecting our rights. He's keeping the Second Amendment viable. He's got a Supreme Court nominee that was put into the Supreme Court who will stand up for our rights. Good things are happening. From Zero Hedge, care premiums set to fall for the first time after rising 117% under Obama. Yep. In what could be one of the greatest, if not the greatest political irony in recent memory, New data on bummer care plan premiums released this week by the DHHS revealed that premiums will decline by an average of 1.5% next year, marking the first year-over-year decline in the program's history. The simple fact that Republicans are doing a better job managing bummer care than Democrats did could create an intractable political problem for Democrats running in swing states. Who will now be left with the difficult task of explaining exactly how and why the Trump admin, which they have blamed for doing everything in its power to gut the program, is actually doing a better job of running bummer care than the Democrats did. Isn't that ironic? From Mail Online. Revealed. 99% of cash given by top Hollywood executives to politicians ahead of the midterms has been donated to demon rats. Yes. from Yahoo New York marks its first shooting free weekend in 25 years every single weekend for 25 years they've had a shooting in New York with the highest gun laws probably outside of Chicago in the nation they got people shooting all the time and they're celebrating it like this is a great thing they'll be back to more shootings this weekend guaranteed okay I've got a uh, Lesserick for you see if you can figure out which article we've been talking about Honest Abe told the truth and no lies truth be told and war either sex dies 59 years have passed with VA folks aghast in their mind. They ignore family ties Good job Les or it could be his wife. They sent me to and I picked one of them So okay from our irony and odd. I call this family feud but before I do, I'd like you to know that there will be a Sergio and Rhoda video linked at the end of the Prophecy Update. This one is about a very ancient monastery, one of the most ancient in the world that they stumbled across out in the middle of nowhere. So it's a rather interesting uh, video. And here we go. I call this Family Feud from Mail Online. Father 76. Tried to kill his son with a chainsaw, but ended up having his leg amputated when his son fought back and attacked him with a lawnmower. Yeah, family feud. And then we have one more from Mail Online. Everybody knows what the word hangry means. Hangry means you're hungry and you're angry. Hangry's son, 22, is arrested and charged with domestic battery after attacking his mom with sausages because she bumped into him as he ate. So there you go, family food. And such is the world we live in. So from Sarasota, Florida to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, I'm Charlie Garrett. This is The Superior Word, and that is your Prophecy Update for the week. Yeah, wow, that's right.